Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. With me today is a good friend of mine of many, many years, Rex Sexton of Portland, Oregon. Rex is a Church of God pastor who has lived in the Portland, Oregon area for the past 30 years. He's also served as camp director for most of that time and has written hundreds of articles on current events and Bible prophecies that have been printed in several Christian publications. I might say that I have really enjoyed Rex. He's an extremely talented writer, very entertaining, not only because of his skill in writing, but also in research, especially historic things. He has a weekly column in his church that he writes. He has a wife, Patty, of 47 years, three children, and 11 grandchildren. As I've said, he's also worked with youth camps, and uh, he's a person that my wife and I have gone to visit in different places, notably in Alaska. One time we visited and stayed with them, and also when he was pastor in the Tacoma, Washington area, we went all together to Vancouver Island. So we've had a lot of communication back and forth, and he is one who is very direct. So anyway, with that introduction, I want to say welcome to the podcast, Rex. No, oh, thank you, Vic, for that nice introduction. Appreciate it. Well, I appreciate your being able to do this podcast. We've had several interruptions that we've had to postpone it here and there. But you came to me and said, hey, when are we going to do this? And when are we going to talk? And what should we talk about? And I thought what would be interesting to discuss today would be the fact that, first of all, Rex lives in Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon, the Northwest, has been a legendary place. When people think of those areas, they think of the geography, the environment, and how beautiful that area is. And they think that it's still as pristine as it's always been. But Portland has taken a turn, taken a very strange turn in the last years. And Rex has wanted to talk about it, not from the standpoint of saying, ain't it awful, you know, what's going on out in society, but also why it's happening that way. And I think that as we discuss the contents, we'll talk about some of the solutions and how things will be fine. So anyway, let's talk about Portland, Rex. Okay, well, I want to go back first to uh, the year 1992. In 1992, there were a number of articles written about Portland as the most courteous, well-kept city in the in the nation. It was growing fast. At that time, the population was about 460,000. Its downtown was known as a paragon of healthy urban development. It was clean, uh, no graffiti, beautiful parks along the riverfront that you could go to. Uh, Portland is called the Rose City. It's also the city of bridges. There are, I believe, 11 bridges across the Willamette River there. And it was a top destination for college-educated people in their 20s and 30s. There was even a TV show called Portlandia, which is the name of the statue of a, of a lady. It's kind of like the Statue of Liberty, much smaller, of course. But it's Portlandia in the city of, in the central part of the city. And there were uh, there were a lot of reasons why Portland was uh, in a kind of an avant-garde modern city. Uh, its city government was collaborative. It led the nation, I would think, in what we used to call civic groups, that still are, but each neighborhood had its own kind of little organization uh, of people who met. They took care of local needs. Uh, they, they planned the streets, the decorations, uh, many, many quaint little restaurants and shops. Uh, we used to very much enjoy taking visitors down to Portland, just walking around the waterfront, seeing all the, there were coffee shops, there were all sorts of little brew pubs and art shops and avant-garde. It was clean and safe, but that has changed so much in the last 30 years, because here we are 31 years on, and we have a completely different city. Let me read mm -hmm. to you. This, this came out in the news this morning. Mm -hmm. This was posted on a number of uh, cable news networks. 
It says Portland, Oregon, one of the fastest growing cities in the United States, is experiencing a population decline as crime, homeless rates, and encampments come to light as potential factors contributing to immigration. Portland lost 3% of its population from 2020 to 2022, making it the sixth largest decline among the 50 largest cities. Because of that, Oregon also saw a statewide decline in population. And what we have here is a, a list of reasons, crime being an estimated factor, crime rates on the rise. Shooting incidents have tripled from 2019 to 2023. Just in three years, the number of shootings has tripled. 1,309 incidents last year compared with 413 shootings four years ago. Homicides have climbed. City leaders have faced pressure to stop the number of homeless camps, but the homeless count in Oregon jumped 23% from 2020 to 2022. So the homeless camps have exploded. I can tell you from a, uh, a personal standpoint that it has been a very difficult thing to see. Uh, what was a beautiful city is now graffiti seems to be everywhere. Almost any public building has got, or, or abandoned building or even billboard signs everywhere along the freeway. Uh, there is graffiti. Uh, in the in, I must say that in the last two or three months, there has been a concerted effort to try to repaint over some of the graffiti and, and move some of the homeless camps. But it, it certainly is a, a losing battle. We can see it every time we go through town. It was through, through town last week, through central downtown Portland, and it was a little better. Uh, there are still some buildings that are boarded that many abandoned businesses. Uh, the chain link fences around the government buildings that were all targeted by the year and a half of, uh, of riots and protesters downtown, those, those fences are pretty much gone now. And there's a, a slow cleanup, you might say, and they're trying to kind of rebuild the reputation of the city. They are having a music festival uh, downtown along the waterfront uh, this next three or four days. And so far, it looks like they're going to try to, uh, you know, make it, mm -hmm. make it a very successful schedule. So uh, we're, we're glad to see that. But we are certainly seeing a, a falling number of people. Uh, living in the Portland area, and many, many major businesses have been driven out. Uh, REI was headquartered here. They're gone. Walmart pulled out all their stores and left Portland about a month ago. Wow. Uh, the reason was because of the, uh, the intense shoplifting. Uh -huh. uh, and people, people would just shoplift, and since there is no punishment for shoplifting, criminals can just load up carts full of expensive gear and then simply walk out of the stores, and anyone who tries to stop them is then basically <laughs> arrested or can be sued. So um, what used to be all kinds of nice little restaurants and beautiful places to go has been replaced. Just to give you a personal story, in in getting leather for my leather craft at camp a couple of years ago, there's a big, a large Oregon leather company downtown. Been there for, I think, 80 or 90 years. It's run by, an, I think it's an Armenian family. Very, very nice people. And this man and I became friends about five years ago. He gives me a real good discount on leather for the summer camp. But just to go to the store on down on right across from the Rose Quarter on the on the western side of central downtown Portland, uh, just to get out of my car to go to the meter to pay the pay the parking fee, I had to step over a lady who was basically half naked and just writhing and shaking on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And looking up and down the street, there are tents. There's unfortunately human garbage up and down. Uh, these people that have spent their lives building a family business now outside their front door there are homeless people there are people doing drugs there are people um you know with wadded up sleeping bags and trash and it's destroying their business 
uh, well, it used to be almost impossible to walk around downtown there were so many people, but now there's just an occasional person. It's almost abandoned. And I, I asked the store owner, I said, what is, what's going to happen here? He, he said, we don't know. He said, they're just destroying the whole downtown and all the businesses are leaving. So it's, it's really tragic. I think they're going to try to rebuild it. But, you know, trust that has been damaged takes a long, long time to rebuild. It just seems that it's, it's just inconceivable that this would happen to what I call the healthy parts of the country. You think of large areas like Chicago and uh, other urban centers that have been around a long time and you have built up a certain population uh, that does that type of thing, but there's a lot of violence. But in Portland, it seems like this has been a shift from a city that, as you said, was peaceful. Uh, it was called, what's it called? The Rose City. Rose City, huh? Yeah, Rose City. And I, I remember when we started working, even the, in the United Church of God uh, in 1995, 96, it was a very, very healthy area with a lot of people being very optimistic. And now all of a sudden, that's just taken such a big shift, and it's still expensive to live there. I mean, yes, it's just yes, so, it's, hard, so hard to understand. It's 25% more than the national average, um, and that basically is housing and almost everything else. Mm -hmm. But uh, you, you mentioned it just happened in recent years, and there's a reason for that. The reason, and we'll get to that in a few minutes, is called Measure 110, which was passed in 2000, and when was it, 2015 or 17. Anyway, what Measure 110 did was, I guess it was passed in early 2020, but it's passed by the voters. But Measure 110 legalized all drugs. You could have possession of, of meth, you could have possession of cocaine, you have possession of all the hard drugs, heroin, and basically all they can give them, all the police can give them if they are found with those, I mean, even sometimes large amounts of it, they can have up to 40, I think, fentanyl tablets. All they can get is a $100 traffic ticket. It's just a citation. It has nothing to do with breaking the law. Hmm. And frankly, the, he was on the news last night even that most of those are simply thrown in the trash. They never appear in court and they never pay their fine. So what happened is this, people who were drug users around the country who did, what, did not want to get arrested and wanted easy availability to buy drugs, moved to Portland en masse. Oh. The, that's why the homeless, the homeless situation went from you know 4,000 to 20 or 30,000 and just, just almost overnight. Uh -huh. Because um, and I've been down, I walked around downtown Portland. I had to take one of my church members down to a dental appointment in downtown Portland last year. And it was, all the streets were lined with, with homeless, with tents, uh, the city parks just filled up with them. I, I think a lot of that has been cleaned up in the recent months. They say it has, because they built these little, these little homeless encampments, little white, mm. little white, what they call um, not mini homes, but they're something like that, small, small homes. But anyway, and it's built, of course, at taxpayer expense, and they line them up, and then they provide free food and whatever. Uh, that's also had, had some repercussions. But the sad thing is, is that so many people who would like to you know, enjoy their time downtown are simply leaving. Mm -hmm. uh, my own church congregation, um, all the people that have families are, are leaving. Uh, basically, they don't want what's taught in the schools, the wokeism, uh, the transgender philosophies, all of this. They simply don't want their kids taught it. So my, uh, well, my is, is, it, school... is it worse there than other parts of the country, the wokeism? Or, or is, or is oh, it... oh, yes. Yeah, it's mandatory to be taught in the schools. And it was uh, published last week in Washington that, that students, parents are not allowed to opt out of the transgender indoctrination that's being taught in grade school level. Uh -huh. So many, pe many people are simply leaving. And even, even my son, who has four little girls, uh, he moved out about two years ago. Um, he was in Milwaukee on the border of South Portland. And uh, it was a nice neighborhood, but he bought the house there. But after about six years, he had homeless people walking around. 
and uh, he couldn't let his little girls go out and play in the street or the neighborhood. And finally, when he heard something in the garage, he went out one night and there's some homeless guy in there looking through his stuff to find something to steal. And mm -hmm. he just called me and said, he said, Dad, I, I got four little girls. I can't handle this anymore. So he put his house on the market and uh, moved to Boise and he took a cut in pay in his job. Mm -hmm. He actually took a lesser paying job just to escape. And I don't think he's alone. There are a lot of people that have done that. So I, it, it's really too bad because it is simply a matter of an unwillingness to uh, enforce the laws. There are laws against all of these behaviors, but the city people, those who run the state, are simply unwilling to, uh, you know, to enforce the laws that, that are on the books that have been passed by the mm -hmm. legislature and enforced by the people. Now, I will say that um, the, the <laughs> Measure 110 and several others, including legalized marijuana, were passed by ballot measure. So Oregon has a representative form of government, obviously, but it has a very liberal ballot measure uh, allowance in their laws to where it's not hard to get a ballot on the statewide uh, form every two years. Mm -hmm. And there and there are outside groups that come in and, and fund these ballot measures. Most all of these ballot measures are funded by, not by Oregonians, but uh, by various, you might say, uh, liberal left-wingist type groups from out of state. And so with all the money coming in to do that, a lot of these ballot measures pass and they're, they're doing it for a social agenda, not because it's beneficial for the state. So uh, there has been some talk about maybe altering the ballot measure uh, law, but right now it certainly, it hasn't been. So it's, it's, it's having some very bad results. I mean, you know, it's, it's very easy to get a crowd inside of the Bible that warns us about not following a crowd. And I think it's much easier to uh, corrupt a crowd of people than it is an individual. Well, the, the doesn't that dawn upon these people, uh, some of the leaders? Of course, we've heard things about your governor and that type of thing about the the competence of, of the of leadership. But doesn't it dawn upon them uh, about what the results and the consequences are, what it's going to cost, or or is it just uh, something that's kind of a nationwide thing? Because it's, Portland isn't the only place. I mean, there's other places in the country that are like it. But it seems like eventually, this is going to catch up with you. Yes, and I think people need to understand what's going on on the West Coast, but especially here and maybe in California, because this is going to spread. Now, the reason it's going to spread is because all this big money from big corporations and other sources, they target one state at a time or three states at a time, whatever it is, and just constantly bombard the airwaves. And so uh, people are led to thinking that's, you know, that's the way they should vote. And some who probably don't take the time to research just go ahead and do what they're what that what they hear, but but it just sort of uh, the result of you know, the nation's turned away from God. Oregon has has uh, virtually led the nation in non-church people. The percentage of people that attend church each week in Oregon is far less than 10 percent. I think they have been eclipsed in recent years by Vermont or New Hampshire hmm. as the lowest lowest percentage of church attendance. I'd have to check the recent stats on that. But, you know, once people reject God and his laws and his advice, uh, the Bible contains advice on every every decision we make. And if we would look at the principles in God's word and follow them in our political decisions, uh, even if, regardless whether or not they want to be, quote, Christians or have be religious, it's just the best book in the world on on human nature and how men should govern themselves among each other. And when that's completely rejected, then we're left with just the, you know, the feeble ideas of men. Now, to answer your question, uh, Ted Wheeler, who was reelected as governor, or not governor, as a Portland mayor last year. Now, you might keep in mind that the person running against him was the local president of Antifa. 
It was a lady um, who was Antifa activist. Um, I, I don't have any verification, but the word on the street is that Antifa is headquartered here in Portland and that the when they send out their Facebook notices to riot in a certain place like Kenosha, Wisconsin, that the orders are all issued out of Portland, out of, out of Portland. Mm. And so um, anyway, so, so Ted, Ted Wheeler, who probably botched the 2020 riots as bad as a mayor could have. Um, he called the police were protecting the police headquarters in Portland, and he called the police away and just let the rioters burn the building. Um, he basically uh, told the police, <laughs> blamed the police for all the things. He even went and knelt down with the with the rioters at one point. I mean, it was mm. you, you couldn't imagine law enforcement being abandoned in such a manner. But um, anyway, he was reelected. But what I was getting to is this past week he has announced that he would like to have a law that says open drug use is no longer legal in the city limits of Portland. And so they're, they're hoping to slow that down. And the state legislature in Salem yesterday passed a bill, I'm not sure it has been signed yet, to actually outlaw fentanyl. Because the current law says a person can be caught with 40 fentanyl tablets, which is probably enough to kill about 20, 25 people. Mm-hmm. You can be caught with tw- with 40 fentanyl tablets on your possession, which also means, by the way, they're selling them. Nobody wants to take that many for personal use. And they would only get a $100 ticket, which they would then throw in the first trash can they saw. Mm-hmm. So they are they are trying to kind of pull back on the fentanyl issue. But that, and of course, I've got, as you know, some very awful personal experience with that. I had a niece that I loved very much and two of her daughters, age two and four, who died of fentanyl overdose in Texas two years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. The mother the mother died of fentanyl overdose and then the two children suffocated to death in the car. Oh. So when I see fentanyl out there, I just, you know, it brings back bad memories. We all miss Natalie very much and those two little girls, uh, little Izzy loved her Uncle Rex and all the rest of the family. And so it's been, a, you know, it's a personal tragedy that this fentanyl has been brought into our nation and such by the bucket and trade load, oh. I suppose, over the southern border. But at any rate, they're trying to pull back on that. But the question the question is, are they going to then repeal Prop 110? Because allowing all of these drugs to be legalized here, and I've seen them selling on the streets, they have a big umbrella. They use like a big golf umbrella. Mm-hmm. And so the sun is shining, and there's three or four guys in various places under these big umbrellas. Well, one is selling cocaine, one is selling meth, one is selling fentanyl, whatever it is. They're basically that's how, how they announce that they are drug dealers. And, and they allow this to go on. They're going to have to have the will to stop it, or the decline is simply going to accelerate. I can't mm-hmm. see any other option. Mm-hmm. You know, Rex, Portland has been the place where a lot of Ukrainians have settled. Jimmy Carter passed an accord or was called the Human Rights Accord when Jimmy Carter was president that allowed groups to expedited emigration, emigra- leaving Ukraine or the Soviet Union to places west. And a lot of mm-hmm. those were people from western Ukraine. This was the Sabbath keepers. And they settled in Portland. And then mm-hmm. when they came over, they'd bring other family members over. But they had preferred status. It was such a city of purity. They built some nice buildings in Vancouver across the river uh, and even had a community on uh, there on the east side. Uh, you know, they've had se- several churches, but now they're moving out in mass. Uh, they, they came to this country for freedom. They came to this country for, for, for its goodness away from the Soviet communist oppression. And now they've found oppression in a different way. And they won't allow their children to be subjected to this. And so they've moved out. They moved out to Missouri. They've moved out to Boise, Idaho, Spokane, other places. And so... Well, they're 
And there's certainly not a lot. Let me, let me tell you one reason for that, Vic. Um, Portland had a lot of nature trails. And, you know, back in the 90s and 80s, they were very good at the city bought up old right away from abandoned railroads mm-hmm. and just various paths through the city. And they made them very nice, uh, nice walking paths. Uh, I'm not sure how many dozens of miles there are all, you know, through, through Portland, up into the hills, whatever. The problem is the rights of way on those paths are either city or county property, whatever. And they have become like snake-like homeless encampments. And so people walking this trail are subjected to uh, human waste, to needles, to being accosted, being attacked, um, you know, physically and shaken down. Uh, when people are high on meth or some other drugs, they they lose their self-control. They hallucinate and they begin, they can perceive that the person walking by is a monster they have to attack. Um, and so a lot of these rights of way are in neighborhoods. Uh, my wife has had a number of clients that said, I have to leave because I can't go out of my house. Um, you know, I get broken into, we get, we hear gunshots and noise all the time. And so these, these, what used to be wonderful blessings of nature trails that were very safe have now been essentially taken over by the homeless population. And so people like you're talking about that have houses in those areas, especially with children, uh, they have no choice but to leave. I mean, there's, they really have, uh, if you want to feel safe and feel that your children are going to be safe, uh, you simply can't live in that kind of an environment. But so some of these, you know, good intention, you might say, ideas simply boomerang. Um, and they're, they're hurting a lot of people. And this may happen in other parts of the country. I mean, who knows exactly what the, what the courts will rule. Um, you know, the uh, the Bible tells us that those who rule, you know, cause us to err and, there's, and that uh, simply judgment is gone. When I think about Portland, I sometimes think about the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 1, as you know, mm-hmm. says... Uh, how lonely sits the city that was full of people, like a widow is she. She was great among the nations, but after she has become a slave, she weeps bitterly in the night. I mean, I, I think about that beginning to the book of Lamentations when I drive through Portland, you know, what was a great city. And there are some efforts now to make it better, but but it's still, uh, it, it still has gone downhill so far that, you know, it's almost heartbreaking. So now, as pastor, you know, you, you've been pastor there for probably a good, I don't know, 10 years or so? About, about 10 years, huh? Okay. And uh, I know that you were so optimistic about you know, moving there when the former pastor had, had retired and, and you were or go, going to retire. And so it was going to be a very, very happy thing. And it was a growing church. But now you've had to be really faced with this, in, this infiltrating into the spiritual life of the church. Uh, right. Uh, tell us about that. Well, uh, let's go back in history a little ways. Uh, the first, you might say, step in the wrong direction was the Oregon Medal- Medical Marijuana Act, which was also passed, by the way, by ballot measure, which passed in 1998. So now I'm not saying there can't be some good uses for medical marijuana. I have a granddaughter with epilepsy, and seizures can be slowed down by some forms of, of, of uh hemp or, or, medic, or medical marijuana, it needs to be controlled by and prescribed by doctors, not just grown by amateurs and used everywhere. But at any rate, that, that started the downhill slope to where the Oregon Board of Pharmacy finally reclassified marijuana as basically a, a, non, you know, a non-illegal drug, and eventually the state legislature legalized it. And of course, then we had the Oregon Cannabis Act in 2012 that legalized it completely. Now you say, how did it affect the church? Well, it is there are marijuana stores everywhere, 
and people began using it. And of course, our children who would attend public schools um, eventually rub into it because kids bring it to school. It's not illegal. Um, in 2015, the Oregon governor, Kate Brown, legalized dispensaries. And let me tell you something. It's like mushrooms in the springtime after a rain. They popped up overnight. I mean, on some street corners, there would be two or three corner stores that were simply nothing but pot shops. Mm-hmm. And how they pop, how they popped up so quickly. But that has affected, obviously, we, we teach against, you know, um, a pot is simply a way to get drunk instantly. The uh, Bible teaches against drunkenness. It will keep one out of God's kingdom. And certainly there are some uh, long-term effects. About one-third of people seem to be able to smoke pot regularly and doesn't affect them too much. Um, but one-third of them can become very quickly what, what they call uh, marijuana psychosis. And we had a church member, a man I knew well from many, many years ago. I used to deer hunt on his dad's place up in central Washington. And a man with uh, three beautiful kids that came to camp, and he started smoking pot, went absolutely psycho, uh, quit his job, and became basically a homeless vagrant all in a matter of about three months. Mm-hmm. And his, we've had to give his wife assistance and try to help with the kids and all that. And here he had a, a very good paying job. Now, my wife has dealt with a number of clients who had marijuana psychosis. It is, it is not harmless. It, it can be extremely harmless or harmful. Um, and of course, those who smoke it regularly often have a lot of digestive, kidney, and other problems. But the, the acceptance of pot smoking as if it's okay, it's nothing more than cigarettes or nothing more than drinking a, a beer once in a while has infected our youth. And I'm sorry to say probably a few of our adults mm-hmm. because they see, it, they see it everywhere. And then of course we have the, uh, the you know, Portland was called, you know, their motto was keep Portland weird. For years they had bumper stickers that you know, said keep Portland weird. What mm-hmm. that meant was, you know, we are, we are a, uh, a city of homosexuals. In fact, Portland one time published that they had more homosexuals, largest homo- larger homosexual community than San Francisco even did. Mm-hmm. And that was back in the nineties. Um, and, but that, but it, but it was still okay to walk around downtown. A lot of people dress crazy, you know, in costumes and you see the crazy hair and lots and lots and lots of tattoos and body piercings and things better, but people were not violent back then. It was different. Um, so we have the homosexual movement that has been endorsed thoroughly by the governments here, state and city, uh, county in Portland. And so that has been taught in the schools. It has been, uh, really they're they're kind of bullying our kids they're kind of bullying people saying you can't say anything is wrong with it or else uh, you're going to get you're going to be the one that's accused of hate speech and so that has affected our young adults they simply uh, are uh, they don't simply I'm, let's just say they don't identify with the very clear verses in the bible that teach morality and teach against uh, you know the wrong use of our bodies and so we have to teach against that we have to you know be, constantly be aware that they are hearing the other story um, you know, frequently. So on the other hand, we've had a lot of our youth have done very well. They've, you know, gone to college um, and gotten some great, uh, great education, great degrees. Uh, Portland has some very well-respected universities, Portland State and others, uh, mm-hmm. George, George Fox College, uh, Concordia, a number of very, very, very good universities. So that, that part is really good. But they, they are subjected to this modern culture of basically anything goes, there are no standards, choose for yourself. Uh, there are no laws we make our own. Uh, and of course, it is uh, it's having an effect because, you know, God gave us laws to live by. And he says, if we keep those laws, we'll be blessed. And if we break those laws, that it's interesting in Deuteronomy 28, it says, if you disobey, Deuteronomy 28, 15, 
if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to carefully do his commandments. Uh, the, first com the first curse is cursed shall you be in the city. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's interesting that the first place where the disobedience to God and the rejecting of his law shows up is in the cities. So God even said that way back to Moses, what, how many years ago? But 4,000 or whatever it is, 3,500, whatever it is. So God knew what he was talking about. But what we see in the cities, he eventually gets out to the other places. And so we're obviously, you know, concerned about that. And um, we just hope that, uh, you know, hope that things turn around. But between the, the the legalizing of marijuana and, of course, later, uh, Measure 110 that legalized all the other drugs, um, it was kind of a sad story. Something else I think that sets Portland apart is that in 2017, Oregon declared itself a sanctuary city, mm -hmm. which basically said, we are not going to enforce federal law. Now, other cities have become sanctuary cities, but what made Portland different? was they immediately instructed all of their law enforcement people not only to disregard federal law with immigration, but to prevent federal law officers from carrying out their duties. Mm -hmm. Now, let me give an example of that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't too long after President Trump was inaugurated. It would have been 2017, maybe in the summer. Um, there was an illegal immigrant who had an outstanding warrant for his arrest that was going to court in a court Portland courthouse on a very small charge, I forget what it was, but the federal ICE agents were outside to arrest him. They tried to arrest him on the way in, they were prevented from it. So they waited outside the courthouse. The Portland police officers would not let the federal agents into the courthouse, which I find uh, uh, hard to believe. Anyway, when, when, he was, he, when the court hearing was over, uh, the judge released him, but the judge didn't just release him, it was a female judge, and she took him into her private chambers and escorted him out through a tunnel to the parking lot and away in a private car to keep the federal officers from even having access to him. Wow. And that and that demonstrates that she should have been arrested. The federal law says very plainly, anyone who assists an illegal, illegal alien here from being arrested or being dealt with by police is it's a felony. She should have gone to prison for doing it. But she wasn't. She was lauded. Uh, everybody said she was the most wonderful example in the whole state, whatever. But then they have just a long history of the police being told to stay away from, you know, any sort of federal enforcement. And beyond that, the city of Portland funds legal, uh, legal attorneys. They have a large foundation funded by tax dollars to, to defend any illegal immigrant who is arrested here or is caught here by ICE. So we have, we have the city of Portland using tax dollars to sue the federal government for enforcing its own laws. It's just, it's almost crazy. And the, uh, we have this, we have one commission here who gave a statement that we have to work together with the county and state to build a wall of resistance around what's, what she called terrorizing communities, which means, of course, enforcing immigration law. Mm -hmm. But once that, once that happened, Vic, what it was, was a change of attitude that the people in Portland said, well, if, you know, if we can just flaunt the law, openly disobey it, and then not only that, but, you know, talk about how evil federal laws are, then why enforce any laws at all? Right. And so right. That, that, was, that, that was right before the 2020 riots, which resulted after the event back in uh, Minnesota. In Minnesota, yeah, mm -hmm. the, what they call the George, George Floyd riots, whatever. Mm -hmm. that we In Portland then, 
But most places had demonstrations and riots that lasted for what, maybe a month. Um, this, in most places, the city and county you know, officials allowed it to happen for a while. I know that what was it, five miles of Minneapolis was burned down downtown. But in Portland, the demonstrations lasted a year and a half. And every night, 150 to 200 people would cross the Burnside Bridge. <laughs> and what's really sad, Dick, and I saw this with my own eyes, these people lived in a homeless encampment funded by tax dollars. They had these mini homes and they had a big tent set up for their food. They get fed every day. They had portable toilets and portable bathrooms out there for them. So they would then live off tax dollars all day. Then they would cross the Burnside Bridge and go into downtown Portland, you know, burn buildings, smash windows, commit all kinds of felonies. Then they walk back across the bridge, back into their public funded housing and food. And this went on for like a year and a half. It's insanity on steroids. Uh -huh. You know, how can, how can anybody think this is a good idea? But the whole attitude started, I believe, when Portland declared itself not only a sanctuary city in defiance of federal law, but then began a program on the city and state level of openly giving out statements about how we are not going to support, you know, any any federal laws about immigration. We would we're not allow federal officers to come into the town. The um, the federal buildings were being attacked, and the, the, the city police made a, a a very poor effort to try to defend them. So at that point, uh, President Trump sent the uh, the federal federal officers, about four different law enforcement agencies, in to protect our own federal buildings. And of course, those guys got eggs thrown at them, rocks thrown at them. And even worse, they had uh, fireworks shot at them. People would buy these bottle rockets and go down there and then level them at the federal officers who are protecting the federal buildings. And those are those can be lethal. I knew a person who had their eye put out with one of those. Yeah. And so those those things all happened. And of course, uh, nothing, um, nothing was done about it. There were a few that were arrested, but the number of people gone to trial was almost zero. Now, part of that was because this fellow named Schmidt, who is the district attorney, supposed to be the prosecuting attorney for the city of Portland, was one of 50 prosecutors funded by George Soros uh, back in, I think, 2020, 2018. And again, lots and lots and lots of money. All, his campaigns were entirely financed by out-of-state people. But his basically his declaration was was that our, our you know we don't need we don't need police we don't need prisons, uh, people don't need to be uh, arrested for for you know it's it's all racist. Right. So uh, in in after after that we uh, started experiencing a, a huge increase in car theft and also in catalytic converter theft. Oh yeah, uh, people would have their catalytic converters cut off by the hundreds, like five hundred a night. And the number of cars being stolen in Portland almost led the nation in the total number of cars, but downtown was like 100 a night. So I remember one time watching the Channel 12 News here in the evening, and they interviewed a guy who had been arrested for uh, for uh, stealing a car. And he said, well, we all know that we have to steal 12 cars before we actually have to do the jail time. So after we've been caught 12 times, the number 13 is the one where we actually have to do some jail time. Other than that, we get off scot-free. Unbelievable. So, so if they are not enforcing car theft, you're talking sometimes vehicles worth fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and uh, they would just steal them and get away with it time and time again. So just this inability, you know, to uh, to enforce the laws. You remember what it says in uh, I think it's is in Proverbs twenty eight uh, twenty nine eighteen where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. So when they cast off what God says to do, there simply is no restraint. But also Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, it is in the heart of the sons of man is set fully wicked to do them evil or for them to do evil. 
So a sentence against an evil work needs to be executed speedily. And in places where the laws are carried out, but even the smallest infractions are at least dealt with uh, properly according to the law, people learn that laws must be respected and kept. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to have to happen. I'm not sure if it's going to happen in, in this life or we have to wait till Jesus Christ returns and starts to you know, flood the earth with his truth and his laws before it's going to happen here. But certainly we are... Uh, we are seeing what happens when laws are simply cast aside because the, the mentality changes. They figure, well, if the state and the county can just disregard federal law, then I can disregard whatever laws you guys have for me. Well, and so it's, uh, it's, it's a sad way that human nature works, but that, that's, that's what's happening. Well, I know that one of the questions or one of the statements that we're going to be looking at here is what might actually work as solutions to the serious social issues. And you've kind of mentioned that. You, start to have, you have to enforce... Uh, laws or enforce what needs to be done when infractions are committed. And that's the only hope for healing. And that's, that's absolutely true. You know, it's God's laws. If we obey them, they always bring good results. Mm -hmm. But on the short term, they need to reopen some of the mental health hospitals. You know, years ago, there was this feeling that, well, even mentally ill people, they have a right to their own privacy and all that. And so they shut down a lot of the institutions that were actually dealing with mental illness. Um, you know, if you break your leg or if you have cancer, we understand that. But understanding mental illness is so difficult, especially because sometimes it comes and goes. But I think the first thing they need to do is open up some mental health centers and get these people who are mentally ill off the street. Mm -hmm. The second thing is they need to quit enabling these people uh -huh. because they, they enable them with these open drug laws. Uh, I saw the news it was a week before last um, there was, again, it was, I think, Channel 12, but maybe Channel 8. Anyway, a reporter walked down the street and interviewed these homeless people popping their heads out of these tents or sitting by their tents. And one lady, she asked one lady, well, do you want to get off the street? Well, you know, why did you move to, well, they had just moved to Portland. She said, this is the greatest place in the country to be homeless. She said, they bring us free food every day. They come give us free needles and we can buy the drugs on the street. And she said they even bring us money sometimes. She said, I don't want to leave here. This is a great place to be homeless. Uh -huh. So what they're doing is they are enabling this type of behavior remember the the parable of the uh, prodigal son yeah. how did the prodigal son change it says he was in the pigsty and he came to himself see people don't change because we want them to change they change because they see the need in themselves to change and when this proposition 110 was passed legalizing all these drugs they spent about three they've spent about 300 million dollars now on various homeless projects uh, most of them, they, they built a large, I think it was a 48-bed whatever. Uh, I think they bought a hotel and turned it into a homeless treatment center. They've also built some apartment complexes down there. But the, the theory was that the, they would give, give free help to any homeless person that would come in. they give them a bed, three square meals a day, and give them treatment. And the first few months, I believe they had two people came in. Because the homeless people on the streets are living well. I mean, they're living like they want to live. They're addicted. They don't want to go through rehab and change. Uh, their lifestyle of doing drugs is, is their choice. So these, these do-gooder ideas where they assume all these people want to be off drugs really aren't working. Mm -hmm. And what they have to do is let these people bottom out. They have to come to themselves in the pigsty. That's what has to happen, unfortunately. That's the way human mind works. Well, it's interesting. Um, you interesting. You mentioned that my wife and I, you know, we've been kind of reading the book of Luke, <laughs> and that's exactly what we read today. You know, this morning, well, you know, about uh, the prodigal son. I believe is Luke uh, fifteen, and mm -hmm. and, and uh, this is a very interesting uh, observation that you have to come to yourself. In fact, our whole nation is going to have to come to itself, 
and somehow wake up. And yes, yet it absolutely. seems, and yet it seems like our nation is falling further and further asleep. As long as there's a meal, as long as you wake up the next day, as long as you can still function, there seems to be no motivation at all to make mm-hmm. any type of meaningful change. Well, that's what's going to have to happen. You know, Jeremiah talks about the terrible things that are going to have to happen. And at one point, he says, God tells him that people have gone too far. They're past the point of no return. They're not going to repent unless they're punished, unless they have to go through a severe suffering because of what they've done. And, you know, God told Abraham, remember when Abraham crossed the, crossed the Jordan River and came into the promised land, and God said, well, it's going to be 400 years before your descendants come out because the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. Mm-hmm. Now, you, the sins of the Amorites are listed for us in Leviticus 18. There's a lot of perversion, a lot of you know child sacrifice, a lot of other things that were very, very bad. Of course, God told the Israelites, you'll not, not do any of those things, but... My question is, when will the sin of the United States, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, when will that sin be complete? When will God say, like he did to Jeremiah, this person is, these people are far gone. There is no chance for them now to repent. They have to be punished. I'm not sure when that nation, when that point is going to be crossed, Dick, because I know a lot of people who are still pretty good people who want to do what's right. Mm-hmm. And in the neighborhood I live in, I mean, there's just a lot of wonderful people. Um, when my son was here visiting with our little daughter, granddaughter, Abigail, who has severe epilepsy, she has, you know, 20 grand mal seizures a day, but they, she, he had his dog and the dog was basically her best friend. She wasn't a therapy dog, but that dog could sense when Abigail was going to have a seizure. She would go over and either lay down next to her or crawl up around her. So, well, while they were here, the dog ran off. I mean, you know, it's unfamiliar territory and stayed in the yard, and we couldn't find the dog. So I called my neighbor, and my neighbor posted on, I think, a Facebook neighborhood page. Uh, this little girl lost her dog. It's a therapy dog for a girl who has epilepsy and posted a picture. And I mean to tell you what, this neighborhood came to life. People were walking all around I me mean, for miles around. They were walking around the streets. They were walking, They were going to all the places they could find Turned out the dog had been stolen by somebody in Vancouver. And somebody had been to a party and seen these people and drove over to their house and said, you took that girl's dog. And they said, well, just a stray dog. We didn't, you know, had a collar. Mm -hmm. But that just tells you that there still are a lot of good people and a lot of people that have good intentions. You know, the nation is not totally corrupt. We might have leadership that's totally corrupt. We might have laws and judges that have, you know, been deceived, whatever it is. But we, we must never lose sight of the fact that you know, there still are a lot of people with good hearts out there. And when God calls them, they're going to respond. And I just wonder, you know, when it says the sin of the Amorites are complete, um, were there no good Amorites left? Were they all completely evil? Was it like, you know, Genesis in the time of the flood where every thought of their heart was only evil continually? I don't see that when I walk around and when I visit with people, my neighbors and just, you know, friends in Portland. There are a lot of people in that line. But I don't know. What do you think, Vic? I mean, how well, much, how much, how much more patience does God have with us? Well, I, I know that when the, when the flood came around, I mean, there's like fifteen, sixteen hundred years of history leading to the flood. There's very little said except that everything just went south, and mm-hmm. you know, God finally had to do what He did, <laughs> start all over right. again. And that's what also happened in Sodom. I mean, the the city was so corrupt that there was no rehabilitation. There's no even taking a small group out. Uh, it was just a couple of people that fled, and I and I feel like we're kind of com- we're coming to that point now. But I'm thinking that just like everything else that we see in our lives, you know, in our community, in our church, and in, in in our city, and all that, we see good, we see evil, and we can be very very upset about the evil. But then my wife, oftentimes, you know, when I get 
very down about things. She says, look, just keep doing right things. Just keep doing right things. And I'm thinking of that as, you know, you're talking about what healing things we can do, is that we can preach the good, we can do the good, and like you said, work with the people that still do good things, and God will be the ultimate judge of, of those that are incorrigible. But we, right. ha- we have to live. We, we, we cannot just uh, give up and all move out out of Portland. We have to keep... Well, you know, another thing, Vic, is there are people out there who are trying to seek God. We've yeah. had seven brand new people attend church here uh, and repeatedly uh, in the last month, month and a half. So our, we are rebuilding some, uh, not, a, not, not, not to the extent of the ones we've lost who have moved out, but there are still people out there who say, I, I want to obey God. I want to get my life straightened out. And those are the ones we need to preach to because there still are some white fields that are you know, ready for the harvest, as Jesus said. Right. I, I, I know that also ministers can find a sense of real purpose in, in working in difficult areas. I remember when I was uh, in charge of church administration, you know, for a lot of relocation ministers, and you know, people always said, "Send me to Denver, send me to Dallas, send me to Atlanta." You know, they wanted to, they wanted certain cities that they, they, they liked. But then one was sent to another location in New Jersey, and I thought, "Well, he's not going to like that." But he told me how much he enjoyed that area, how much he appreciated that area, finding good people, and really had a very successful ministry in working with people who had difficulties who had difficult environments but they were able to find solutions and he had a he was a very successful pastor good well we'll just every day try to do the best we can and you know get get god's message out the best we can and hope it falls on fertile ground well you have done an excellent job i've always appreciated your forthrightness your honesty you know we never seem to wonder what rex is thinking (laughs) (laughs) that's been your hallmark but it's always been very tastefully done and very wonderfully done well rex we have really really enjoyed talking to you today about, yes, uh, thank you. about Portland. It's a good subject. I think it's something to, to listen to from somebody who actually lives there, who works with that, and actually has hopeful solutions, not only for Portland, but for the, all the West Coast and for the whole world, for that matter. So thank you very much, Rex. Sure. Well, enjoy being with you, Vic. Okay. Good to talk to you. Well, thank you. We'll talk to you again. All right. You're welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to us today on The Cubic Report. We welcome you to share this podcast and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, and many other platforms. You can easily find us at any browser address box by typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. Remember, Cubic is spelled K-U-B-I-K. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at vcubic at gmail.com. That's vkubik at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.